This is Channel 253. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies. The demands of teachers are quite high. Yeah. And so we don't retain teachers because, you know, you work at night, you work in the morning, um, you very rarely get your weekends. And so yeah. people are choosing other career pathways yeah. where you can just come home and be home. <laughs> Yep. And not carry all the baggage from your job into your home life. Right. Like literally and figuratively, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One, two, two. Interchangeable. White Ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Today's essential question, how is fighting for equity in schools a universal struggle? We're super lucky to have a guest from New Zealand with us. And our guest today is Nikita Ikehele. Do you want to say hi? Hi. Welcome. Hi. Uh, she is a coach and consultant with Kia, is it Kia Mahira? Yeah, Mahita. Mahita in Auckland, New Zealand. Okay. Originally hailing from, oh man, these are all tough. Aotearoa? Aotearoa, Aotearoa, New Zealand. You, you got it. Uh, Nikita's passion yeah. and addiction for learning has enabled her to dabble in teaching in the private and public sector, nature kindergarten, facilitation, mentoring, educational technologies in the early years, community projects, leadership roles, collaboration, communities of practice, international teaching, and educational coaching. Welcome. Thanks, thanks. So we want our listeners to know that um, today's episode is really a global episode. It is 1 a.m. in the Philippines, recording in my sister's living room um, with this janky set that I've found backpack. Anne is back in Tacoma. It's true. I'm in, I'm in Tacoma. What time is it, Annie? It is 9.20 a.m. Yeah. And then Nikita is in New Zealand. And what time is it there, Nikita, right now? It's 6.20 a.m. in the morning. Tomorrow yeah. for us. So it's a bit. So it's your, It's already Sunday. <laughs> yeah, on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. It's very exciting. Yeah, it's Sunday morning here too. Yeah. So we're in the future right now. That's wild. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I'd like to just start by having you share a little bit about who you are and a little bit of your story. How do you just kind of describe yourself to people? Thanks, guys. Uh, so uh, what's traditional in New Zealand is to introduce yourself based on your genealogy. So I'm just going to do what I call my pepeha, um, and it'll be in fully te reo Māori, and I'll give you an insight into what it means when I'm finished. Hmm. And what's traditional uh, to do in Te Māori in New Zealand, um, Indigenous communities, is to introduce yourself based on where you fuck um, a papa back to, so where your genealogy, where your marae, your uh, mountain, your river, your people are from. Hmm. And so you would say in a 
in a, any meeting, you would talk about who, who your people are first, and then you would say who, what your name is. So really, it's just about saying, I belong to this group, and my name is Nikita Ikihele. So awesome. I'm Māori, um, New Zealand Māori. My dad is Māori, and my mum is Cook Island Māori. So she um, was born in a little island about four hours from New Zealand. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited to be on this podcast because it's something that's come around from being a global, uh, travelling around the world as a sense of identity. And so sharing who I am and where I'm from is something I'm always really proud to do. Mm. So as Annie was talking, I was, I'm um, or referring to, I'm currently, uh, I'm currently in everything actually. I teach in a yeah. primary school, I'm early childhood qualified, um, I coach and I consult and I just secured a role as a tertiary lecturer. Hey! Um, so, yeah! Nice. So I'm going to try, I think what happened when I took um, Kia Mahira, the it started as a hobby because I was I was sitting in Bangkok and um, Bob Barnston said something. Uh, he said, be curious, not furious. And <laughs> means um, be curious in te reo Māori. So I'm just, and if I look at my CV and the interview I just went to recently, I'm just really nosy. So Kia <laughs> means be curious, but it's actually so... Um, so very, very much who I am. I'm just really curious about the world and people and different jobs. Obviously, I've tried many things in my time and probably yeah. will continue to do so. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, Nikita, Nikita and I met at a conference actually in Abu Dhabi and just we were, t- we were like paired up for like a pair share activity and mm. the more we talked I was like I I really want to talk to this yeah <laughs> I really want to talk to her she's more. really cool <laughs> and I was like there's a lot of stuff I was like oh we're we're vibing on the same we're on the same page here I think that's can awesome. you talk a little bit about how you became a teacher well um that wasn't a easy pick either so I always wanted to be a secretary so at high school what? I did five <laughs> years of shorthand word processing typing I can type really fast um, and then after school, I was uh, I was getting five dollars, I think, an hour at uh, at three guys like a supermarket checkout. Mm. And then uh, my guidance counselor said to me, "Oh, do you want to try this job because it's seven dollars?" And I was cleaning. Nice. And, it was <laughs> and I'm like, seven dollars an hour? Yeah, I'm in there. So I went for the interview, right. scored the job, and um, I didn't actually want to be a teacher at that point, but I ended up not finished, not getting what I needed to get into university. So they put me yeah. on this one-year course where I could do a daycare certificate. So um, I worked out that the lady I was went to work for um, could supervise me for that. And so, I mean, I finished school and got my shorthand certificate and my typing certificate, and I lasted two weeks in office. Because all <laughs> I kept thinking was, I want to be back out there with the kids, you know, like get yeah. back to play outside with the kids. So I went back to that and then worked my way up through the family daycare certificate degree and then has done a master's postgrad and doing another master's. So it was a, um, yeah, it was just a random turn of events that got me into teaching and I would say I love it. Like I um, interviewed recently and they asked me uh, why, what makes you different, you know, or what, what do you bring to, our, or what would you bring to our organisation? And I said, you know, um, in this very corporate looking space, I give a shit about kids. 
Like I actually, you know, I don't do it for the money. I don't do it for the accolades. I actually give a shit about outcomes for kids, and I and they were really happy with the answer. So That's like, awesome. Yay. And then they get another job. I'm like, yay! Nice. <laughs> So what brought you, so you went from, I mean, this kind of journey of in teaching into consulting. What's the big difference for you about consulting? Is it working, because you're working more with adults, like what, what's, the, what's been the biggest shift for you from being an educator to being an educator in a consulting setting? Yeah, so um, I've been dabbling in and out of kind of facilitation consulting for years now. Um, I, I do prefer working with children mm. um, because they just I don't feel that. Baggage, <laughs> right? they, don't, they don't think about all got to do. They just bring their whole self raw to the table, and um, so I find that refreshing. Yeah, I think what I've come to realize is when you support educators with whatever it is, that you you impact more than one child. So um, the new role that I potentially walking into, I haven't signed a contract yet. Um, hopefully by the time this years I have, um, I'll be teaching teachers. So mm. every student teacher I support, I could it has a ripple effect for hundreds of kids, and mm-hmm. so that it's kind right. of like a, you have a wider impact when you're consulting. And I think uh, you underestimate the power of teacher well-being and teacher. Mm. You know, it's so important mm. to look after your teachers. They're such a vital resource in schools. And if not, they're probably the most important. They are the most important resource in a school. So I, I really um, have got a new focus on mm. looking after teachers. And, you know, yeah. whatever you can to give them, make them the best that they can be in front of our kids. That's awesome. Yeah. So we're really curious about um, just the way that the New Zealand education system is set up. And since you've traveled so much, um, we're wondering if you could kind of speak to what do you, what's going mm-hmm. on there and what does that look like? And then how does that compare to other places you've been or just in terms of challenges and also successes? Would you mind talking a little bit about um, what the K-12 system looks like there? Yeah, so um, at the moment in New Zealand, we have uh, early childhood is uh, zero to six. Um, and we have a really cool curriculum called Te Whareke, which means um, a woven mat. So they see that uh, learning isn't just um, in silos, but it, everything impacts on everything. So like weaving, um, that's the metaphor they use for that curriculum. And it's all about um, well-being, communication. Um, it's more about the holistic child. So it's yeah. not just academic, but they really focus on mm. social competence and um, contributing and participating. So, so then you move in from step They move early childhood non-compulsory sector, and they don't have to attend it, but they there's a lot of children that do. And then you go into the compulsory sector where we have um, the New Zealand curriculum, and that really is about. I think probably the coolest thing about our New Zealand curriculum document is what we call our key competencies. Um, and it, I mean, it's like in the International Baccalaureate, we have the learner profile. Um, oh, okay. You know, our key competencies are thinking, relating to others, using language, managing self, participating, contributing. So what we want is for all children to leave school um, at the end of year 13 here, which is equivalent to year 12 there, um, to have all of those um, to be very confident in thinking, relating mm. to others, using language, managing self. 
participating, contributing. Um, what we've seen, though, in uh, my time overseas, uh, the one government, uh, the national government, in- introduced what they call national standards. So yeah, it's all yeah. about reading, writing, math, and it's all about grading children, and it's all about whether they were above or below this imaginary line. And so we saw, uh, I think, New Zealand take a huge step backwards in terms of our education system. We oh, had the potential, and we have. We've had some really good um, statistics. Um, and, you know, we, we we pump out some very creative people like Peter Jackson, Taika, Wai- Taika Waititi, you know, yeah, some yeah. very creative people. And the last nine years we've seen, in my opinion, the education system just fall flat. And mm. so now the new government in place, they've, they've, got, they've gotten rid of the national standards and they're putting more effort into creativity, curiosity, our key competencies. Um, but what it's going to take some time to turn that around. You know, I came back right when it was taken away. Yeah. And there's some work to do around just being creative, you know, and curiosity, imagining, um, you know, there's all sorts of things that we need to work on, I think, as a community. Yeah, we, I, we're we're really both really. I mean, maybe hope. I don't know if your perspectives changed a little bit, but I'm incredibly jealous because we have such a we have national standards here, and mm-hmm. over time, the our you know education policy at the national level has become so entrenched. It's not it's not mm-hmm. moving in the way of becoming more creative. It's moving in the opposite direction, and I'm that's just that's really incredible, and um, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, don't get me started. I mean, I think <laughs> like in the states we have national, uh, the Common Core standards, right? Yeah. Which I think are actually fantastic. But people get all weird and like wrote about them, and like you said, mm-hmm. they lose the sense of um, what does it mean to like be creative in those standards. What does it mean to help kids? Yeah. Like, I love what you're talking about with the wraparound, just the social competencies, and absolutely. Um, you know, creating an entire learner. I mean, not to get all like edgy speak. No, on but it but, seems like sometimes um, a lot of times, and I see this here is that it's uh, sometimes it's really lip service to yeah. those sort of buzzwords, right? That it's, you talk about social emotional learning in abstract terms, but in reality, what does that look like in the classroom? How do we teach students to treat each other with respect and kindness and to function in society as, as, you know, helpful people to others and, I don't know that that is not it's not emphasized as much as it should be. So yeah, I mean, there's what, a lot of research around that says that social emotional learning is um, probably more important than uh, our basic needs. Yeah, you know, there's there's a whole wave of research. I think David Rock is pushing it out um, where they're saying how vital social emotional competence is to yeah. survival, just to living. Yeah. So I think one of the questions we have um, about the system there, and I know you and I kind of talked about this um, when I met you, but just in terms of thinking about, so we've got the standard around challenges uh, around standards and just helping students as whole um, students and the, like the whole child basically is the word we use in states. Um, mm-hmm. But in thinking about like some of the issues around equi- equity and access um, in New Zealand, what does that look like in terms of um, your student population, in terms of teacher preparation, um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, so, I mean, this is a topic quite dear to my heart. 
Um, so I live in a community, I live in Otara in Auckland, which is a predominantly Māori and Pacifica community. So Māori is the indigenous people of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pacifica, we have a high population of Pacifica population. So what happened in the 1950s, a whole lot of people came to New Zealand in search of a better future for their children. So mm-hmm. we have people from Samoa, Niue, um, Cook Island, Tonga, so they all migrated over to New Zealand and kind of walked straight into low-paying factory jobs. Um, and they happened kind of in the 1950s. And what we've seen is a huge surge of these populations, including myself, I'm Māori and Pacifica, um, Māori and Pacific communities. And what yeah. we're seeing is often the system, the educational system doesn't really serve them well. So we're often on the tail end of achievement. We're on the tail end of um, income. We're on the tail end of um, jobs. We're on the tail end. So, you know, and so, you know, in 2000, I think it was 2000, 2013, probably long before that, um, the government started to think seriously um, about that and created what they call Pahikitea. So Pahikitea is a document that is to support teachers in all schools across New Zealand um, to provide uh, education that is about Māori students enjoying and achieving education success as Māori. So what we saw back in the 60s is that my dad, for instance, was full te reo Māori and came to a school in Auckland and was strapped for speaking it. They kind of wanted to push it out. So no, but there was a whole era where people were strapped or punished or physically abused for speaking to their Māori. And so you kind of saw the language die. In the yeah. 1980s, there was a massive push to bring, to revitalise to their Māori, to revitalise the language. And we saw um, early childhood services and mm-hmm. primary schools start to operate in fully to their Māori. Well, there's a whole generation of kids that don't have their mother tongue um, mm. and that impacted their academic success. And so the idea of Māori students enjoying and achieving education success as Māori is about being proud of being Māori, you know, yeah. and normalising our language, te reo Māori, um, normalising our ways of thinking, our ways of being, and that being Māori is actually a valuable a cultural asset cultural asset, you know, you're lucky to be Māori. And so the government has put in um, resourcing, documents, research to support educators all over New Zealand to provide provide curriculum, to provide schooling that better reflects that for our kids. Um, And, you know, we've seen some really awesome kids come from 1980s right up to now and just fully engaged in... um, te reo Māori, te ao Māori, the Māori world views, and do amazing things. I mean, one of the first ladies to ever have a moko kauai, so that's a tattoo on her chin. Uh, she, the first person in the world to have that as a news presenter is from New Zealand. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, the, technically the, it, we have um, the impetus behind wanting to serve our communities, um, particularly Māori Pacifica, we have we have the infrastructure there. I think yeah. it comes down to values and beliefs of the different educators. You know, one of the best quotes I heard from a Samoan lady was, before the culture 
of a child can um, enter the classroom, it must enter the minds of the teacher first. Huh. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. How cool is that? And that's that just awesome. blew me away. You know, like how often do we, especially in international schools, I mean, I had one class of 15 children from 13 different nations. Yeah. Um, so for for their culture to be valued and part of your classroom, it actually has to be part of your psyche first. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the, the teaching population, can you, um, what is that, what is the demographic to the teaching population? And so how does that reflect what um, is happening in schools in terms of the students that are in front of them? And is it, is it um, like, um, how typical is it for them to think about those students, like you mentioned, and have their cultures and their values uh, in their minds, at least be, at least acknowledging that they exist? Well, in terms of um, cultural backgrounds, I think there was a big push to have uh, more Māori Pacifica educators. So the government um, over time has put out scholarships so that oh. if you were of Māori or Pacific descent and you wanted to be a teacher, they mm. would fund you to become a teacher. Um, and part of what, I don't know if you guys have it uh, where you are, but is part of keeping, oh, yeah, you do, you know, teacher registration. You know, you have to keep yeah. up with yeah. professional development. Yeah. yeah. So in New Zealand, if you want to stay registered as a teacher, you have to show how you are um, being bicultural. So how, um, how are you including um, Māori and Pacific worldviews into your teaching, um, um, how you're honouring the Treaty of Waitangi, you know, so you have to show, it's actually one section of the whole, this um, standards and codes, you have to show how you are committed to ensuring that Te Ao Māori or the Treaty of Waitangi is honoured in your teaching practice. That's incredible. I'm a social, I'm a social studies teacher and we have, we have, we have a law in our state about that social studies teachers are required to teach indigenous history Mm -hmm. and it's not enforced or taken seriously. It's not, and I, I'm just like, I'm floored in a totally amazing way by, by what you're saying, just because we don't, it's not treated with the same, our indigenous communities are not treated with respect. And so I, I, it's just incredible. Yeah, I have to say New Zealand does really well because I visited Australia about 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I was a little bit shocked. But doesn't mean we haven't got more work to do. No, know? absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, I just, um, I, I think on the scale of, you know, think about the spectrum of yeah. making progress to, to recognize indigenous communities, to honor them, to create space for indigenous children to be proud of themselves that that you're way further down the road than a lot of places and I'm sure you've seen that because you've traveled a lot yeah I mean yeah when you put it like that we're kind of amazing no. <laughs> <laughs> it's true okay. that, we always have some work to do you know because yes. it's the little nuances that um especially for my kids my kids are Māori and Pacifica and they yeah. are experiencing quite a different education system their father and I, you know, right. so when yeah. I, I wasn't proud to be Māori when I went to school. Yeah. I went to a predominantly Pākehā school, which is a European school, um, and there was a small group of us that were of Pacific Māori descent, yeah. and it wasn't necessarily something that I was proud of, but now I watch my kids and they do um, kapahaka, they stand up and perform Māori culture at school, they compete yeah. in competitions, um, you know, Māori, Māori competitions. They perform Cook Island dances of their own will, and they are so strong when they do that. So I'm excited for them, 
but there's still a long way to go because they are Absolutely. not completely immersed in their languages. Yeah. One, well, I like I've seen I taught in a, a private school briefly and I had a student who part of her project was creating a, a Coast Salish dictionary and Salish language is one of the indigenous mm. languages near where where we're recording right now in uh, Western Washington. And um, it's actually a, a group of tr- of different tribes that are part of the Salish um, tradition. And they, that language is, it's an oral language. And it's, I mean, it's, they, it's just in the last couple hundred years, folks have tried to um, kind of codify it, write it down. But um, I had a student who did that as a project and it was, she was completely blown away. She's like, this is not like, how do we not treasure this? Like, this is so important mm-hmm. and um, treat this with this language of the indigenous people of our community with more respect. It, 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 language is critical to to that. It's a critical piece. Yeah, and that's why I say we have such a long way to go. But in New Zealand, so there's three official languages of New Zealand, English, Te Reo Māori, and Sign Language. Mm. Um, oh. So when we sing our national anthem, we sing it English, Māori, and Sign Language. Wow, I did not know that. That's really cool. So all yeah. the kids learn, everybody learns all three of them in school or just kind of for the singing the national anthem? So in our school, we do all three. Every time we sing the national anthem, we do all three. Um, In terms of the level of, so English is the main language of delivery, uh, main language of instruction. Um, In terms of what children are exposed to, or sign language and te reo Māori, it just differs across schools. I think there's some more work to be done there. Um, But again, the government have tried to resource schools by paying scholarships for um, Te Reo Māori teachers to become equipped to be teachers. So if they are proficient in Te Reo Māori and they wanted to become a teacher, they would support them in becoming a teacher oh. so that there were more resources in schools. Yeah. Can you... Um, compulsory. We do have to speak Te Reo Māori. Everybody does. Yeah. You have to have some level of proficiency if you want to be a teacher. Oh, that's awesome. So um, in the way that the districts are cut, you mentioned that um, you went to a European school. So is the, are schools divided up, are like classified in that way still? Or how does that, how is it decided what, what school it gets to go to? Yeah, so um, I mean, we're, uh, we're experiencing this now with my own children. And I kind of have a little Google with my high school friends about it. So where I live is a low socioeconomic area. And yeah. the schools in this area are high in Māori and Pacifica population. So that's the community I'm in. Um, when I was younger, I used to walk uh, two or three times, or even bus, to a, a school outside of my area. And that mm. was populated with people from their community. Most of them were European. Um, not all of them. There was a there was a percentage of us that were Māori and Pacifica, but predominantly they were European um, or Southeast Asian. Mm-hmm. And so I experienced quite a different schooling system to some of my friends in my area. Yeah. Did you go yeah, there because it was was it a, quote unquote a better school, or what your parents wanted you to go there, or why did you why did you go there instead um, of your local school? Yeah, I think the perception was that it was a better school. Yeah, uh, and you know my parents were young when they had me. That my my dad was seventeen, my mum was nineteen, and mm-hmm. they did the best they could. But I think right. in their eyes, I was sent to a better school, 
Um, And now I know that's not actually true because some of my friends from my community are doing amazing things. One's just become a counsellor, you know, and is such an advocate for our community. She, all her schools were in this area. Even my my current principal went to schools all in the same area. Yeah. So she, yeah. So it was just a myth perpetuated basically because of Uh, the ethnic makeup? Or do you think it was also about resources as well or political stances? I think it was more about the ethnic makeup and the location, you know, um, of the other school. Yeah, It would seem to be a better area, and so that would be a better school. Hmm. Well, I think um, now would be a great time to take a break um, and give our listeners a chance to kind of think about that, and we will be right back. Hey, Hope, did you have a good weekend? Yeah, it was great. Nate and I were out of town Friday and Saturday night, and then on Sunday we flew back home. Wait, how's that possible? Like we were messaging you and you and I were messaging each other back and forth all day. You were on a flight? <laughs> Girl, you know about free messaging on Alaska flights, don't you? No, I did not know about that. Maybe a certain podcast co-host could have told me. I'm telling you now, it's amazing you can chat for free with Facebook Messenger, iMessage, and WhatsApp from the flight. So like in, in the air. Wow. So instead of grading papers on the flight, I could be chatting with my IWL BFF for free? Yes, it's truly magical. This changes everything. It really does. We can do all kinds of podcasting notes. We can do, have Seriously. a little chat about our next Pinterest For episode. Free. Yeah. So to book your next trip and send messages from the sky, visit alaskaair.com. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. And we're back. So I had a question about indigenous governance in New Zealand. Um, in In America, we have a system of tribal governance that is we have tribal sovereignty uh, so tribes manage their own affairs within the tribes and they have kind of cooperative relationship with the federal government and i am curious about how that how indigenous governance works in new zealand and if that what effect that has on on the school system i know that in in america and a lot of um colonized areas that there were indigenous boarding schools. And I don't know if that's part of the history in New Zealand as well, but um, I'm interested in how the, how the kind of federal government has, um, not just in terms of giving tribe, giving indigenous groups sovereignty, but also managing education in the past. You've talked about the present and it sounds like there, it sounds like New Zealand's doing some incredible work to, for equity and to support indigenous people. But um is that kind of similar in New Zealand that you've had sort of a sort of a separate governance for indigenous people and for you know descendants of colonizers and then having having sort of separate systems or is it pretty well integrated? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. So um, earlier on, when I introduced myself, I introduced uh, which tribe I was from. Yeah. So my um, I my whakapaka or genealogy is back to Ngāpuhi. And so across New Zealand, you have different tribal areas, and mm-hmm. each of those areas have, in some respect, their own um, governance, like you, like you refer to. Sure. So um, Ngāti Whātua is, the, is a tribe in Auckland, and they're doing some really cool things around education. They bought, built their own early childhood centre, their own um, school, and they do really cool things around education. And so they're a little entity unto their own. Mm. Um, and different iwi or different tribes operate and invest in the education system differently. So they might offer different things. Like it, 
So in the South Island, they have a really cool, um, Tahu have really cool things for infants and toddlers, little programs that support them. Um, but in, in New Zealand, there's a, almost like a, a rule where the parliament our, um, has to have some Māori representatives speak in, 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 we have our Māori electorate. So I'm on a, I vote for the Māori person in my area, if you okay. like. Yeah. Um, and, and I think traditionally those spaces were really just to um, ensure that there was a Māori voice at the table all the time. Yeah. But um, now you see you see uh, Māori earn those titles, earn those positions on their own right. You know, not just because they're Māori. You know, not the token gesture of, okay, we need to the Māori seat, like, here you go. Right. But you see Māori advocate in the high positions um, earned on the, in their own right because they are good enough for that position and I think that's where we're shifting is it's no longer the tokenistic or you're our Māori representative mm. um, or you're our Pacifica representative but you're actually here because you earned it, you're the best person for the job regardless yeah. of your cultural background Yeah. Um, but yeah. it is something we're always mindful of about whose voice is being heard at the table Right. Um, even in our communities, like we do, a, it's really important that we do um, consultation with our Māori and Pacific communities, our mm. families. You know, what what is we ask questions like, what do you dream for your child? You know, and when they're thirty, what do you hope they're doing? Right. Yeah. And try and learn about what aspirations they have for their children, so that we can better serve the community. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Mm. So actually making those kind of connections to kind of the, you know, thinking about the the reasons why, you know, people are supporting their children's education because the why matters so much. And you think about, like, obviously all parents want, you know, I, you know, I'm being a little general, but want good outcomes for their children, right? Um, and so how does that, how is that tied to not just... It's kind of universal, like love for your kids, but also the cultural. It's it's deeply rooted in in kind of cultural values and making sure that those are recognized in in the school system. Am I am I recapturing that <laughs> accurately? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and there's some there's some work that's really exciting um, in New Zealand. They've got some we've got some research that's just finished actually mm-hmm. Melinda Weber and Angus McFarland who went into Te Arawa, who are another tribe um, in New Zealand, and um, want to redefine success. So they mm-hmm. ask people of the children of that community, of that iwi, what does success look like to you? Okay. And so um, they collected these stories, lots and lots of stories from that community. And one story that Melinda shared um, recently at a conference was that one little boy said, oh, you know, um, or name someone who is successful. And he said, my papa, you know, my grandfather. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why is he successful? Um, because he he knows how to do pig hunting. He knows yeah. how to garden. He knows how to go diving for seafood. You know, so he's a scientist. And so, you know, success means something different to everybody. And so what mm. they've come up with is what the Ottawa um, the Māori tribe believes to be successful their community. That's great. And they've, yeah, there's been some really cool research around that. 
That's really beautiful. That's really cool. We'll, um, I'm going to try to link to that in the show notes so folks can look up um, more of that information and read a little bit about what's going on there. So you mentioned earlier that there's still a lot of challenges. I mean, when you think about some of the things you'd like to see change or continue to change, um, what would you pinpoint if you had to pick one or two things? Uh, I think um, for me, and this is kind of where my decision to move across to, so I, I'm moving across to a Māori university. Um, mm-hmm. And they asked me, why why do you want to come to this space? And I said, Te Ao Māori. So when I say Te Ao Māori, like the Māori worldview um, is normal. <laughs> it's normalised. So I don't uh, have yeah. to add it on to something. Yeah. I don't need to integrate it. I don't need to um, ask for permission to edit. It's just part of how they operate at that particular workspace. So I'd like to see Te Ao Māori normalised. Because yeah. we're in New Zealand, like there's nobody, uh, nowhere else in the world you can go to hear Te Reo Māori. Like it's the country yeah. in which you can learn about Te Reo Māori, Te Reo Māori. Um, so that's probably my number one is the, yep. is the language. And then um, I guess number two, I think some more work to be done around um, identity, language and culture. So my kids, you know, they're teenagers. They, they experience quite a different education system to their father and I. Um, but there's still some more work to be done there. So for, for students to come out of school knowing that actually being Māori, um, being Nguyen, being Cook Island is, a, is an asset. It's something to be proud of. Yeah. Mm. So when you live in poverty and when you're just fighting to get to school every day, that's not something you are proud of. You know, it's you're surviving. And when the most of your community is made up of Māori Pacifica people, you know, it's not something you are proud of. So there's some work to be done around that, I think. Do you think um, teachers play a role in that then in terms of helping students shape um, whether they feel positive about where they're coming from? Yeah, or is that something think, else? No, I think oh, I think it's a societal issue. Yeah. Um, we need to just what what the phrase I use is speak life. Speak life into mm-hmm. uh, being Māori, speak life into being Pacific like share the great stories. So the work that Tato yeah. are doing, um, you know, uh, there are local heroes in my community too, so there's a big push for um, we've taken on Brandon Staunton work of Humans of New York where he's profiled people around New York and we've done humans on South Auckland. So um, real life, good people doing good work and profiling those, putting it all over social media so that our kids can see that there are good people in your community doing amazing things and succeeding. Mm, Absolutely. Succeeding in their own right, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think it's society mostly like, um, and everyone, everyone has a, a part to play in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I was going to ask about if there are, because you've mentioned Australia and um, some of the other countries that you've traveled to. I just had a question about some of those universal challenges facing education right now, if there's anything that seems to kind of hop from culture to culture and to, in place to place and country to country and tribe to tribe that seems to continue to kind of come up as challenges in education um, no matter where you are. Do you see any challenges that are ha- that are kind of affecting all locations and no matter where you go that you see problems coming up? Um, I think probably the one that stood out for me um, most is is um, family time. Mm. You know, like it mm. seems to be a thing of the past. So okay. uh, 
for, for whatever reason, it's not even about, um, you know, like, it's just that good old spending time as a family. I think mm. that's something that we're not, um, I'm not seeing as being um, actively used or experienced as much as it yeah. used to. And I mean, I define family in so many different ways, but yeah. just spending time with people. Um, I yeah, it doesn't matter which country you're in. I think that's at risk. Yeah, spending time with people. Yeah. I was just yesterday, I have a club that I advise at my school, and we had our end of the year celebration, and I kind of looked around and realized that, because our kids, they treat each other like family, and I sort of, you know, was thinking about that, that they, we have some students who don't, maybe at home, they're, they don't have as as much of a support network, but at school they do, and that's who their family is, and they don't have to, mm-hmm. they don't have, they're not, in a club setting, they're not facing academic barriers they're not facing kind of financial barriers they get to just be themselves and i see that i yeah there's a lot of value in that i mean it's it's the only thing that matters really <laughs> yeah the connection of people mm-hmm. um well i think i have one more kind of education uh related question i was reading and maybe you can tell me this is like totally um not a reputable source but i <laughs> i stumbled upon the blog of the new zealand association for research and education it yep. says like Ipukareru something. Yep. Um, is that is that a legit it's source? They're legit. Don't worry. Oh, so what everyone says is kind of legit. <laughs> well, yeah. they were talking about how they do a survey every it, it three is. years yeah. <laughs> and like check on what's going on in the schools. And I th- one I thought I don't when I think about the U.S. system, like I don't feel like we have a consistent organization that consistently does these check-ins. So that's something another topic, but. Um, Two things stood out to me. One, uh, there was saying one of the top issues is about recruiting quality teachers. Um, And you mentioned that there is some Mm -hmm. work being done to help recruit more indigenous teachers. Um, Is there other things around recruitment? Do you think that's an issue still? Um, I had this conversation yesterday, actually. I think, yeah, we we are struggling to recruit and retain. Um, Firstly, because the pay is just not, you don't get what you should. (laughs) Although we've just had, I mean, recently we've just had strikes and um, union meetings because teachers said, actually, we deserve more money. Mm. And it's never about the money, but it is. um, And we got pay rises. So that was a successful, um, that was successful. We we got, we, Mm. across the board, we got pay rises. Um, Except for early childhood teachers, they've yet to receive them. Mm. Um, yeah, which is always the case. It's so annoying. Yeah, it's that's true here too. Our we have our our certific- certification system for early childhood is, I mean, like pre kindergarten is different, and it's and folks are not paid and they're left out of those conversations a lot, and it's really frustrating. Yeah. Um, so one, I think we don't recruit because of that, and I think what we're seeing now is the demands of teachers are quite high. And so we don't retain teachers because, you know, you work at night, you work in the morning, um, you very rarely get your weekends. And so people are choosing other career pathways where you can just come home and be home (laughs) and not carry all the baggage from your job into your home life. Like literally and figuratively, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yep, that's so true. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, man. Well, the other thing I noticed from the survey, they were talking a bit about how new to last year, 
um, is that there's some concerns around providing support for vulnerable students. And I mm -hmm. found that really interesting. And then kind of like they dig into how they define vulnerable students, which it sounded like um, students with different kinds of special needs. Um, is that, what do you think about that result? Or is that is that something you're seeing in schools there as well? Yeah, I think um, this is kind of relevant to my last year. I had a class of 22 students and eight of them needed extra support in some yeah. form or shape. And so the percentage of students coming through, whether we're getting better at diagnosing students or picking up on these cues, yeah. um, that might be the reason that I have high population, or um, we're just seeing more students coming in that have a variety of learning, um, that require a variety of learning support. I'm not sure, but it takes a toll yeah. on mm -hmm. one human, you know? You're one human yeah. worth. And the, and the class sizes here are pretty high. So um, I have five-year-olds and I I think we're up to 22 children uh -huh. just starting school. Five, and, you know, New Zealand, we don't have everyone starts in the same year. If you turn five, you can rock on up to your local primary school and start that yeah. day. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's problematic. I think we probably need to invest more time into supporting our pre-service teachers with special understanding the um, special needs or special rights, yeah. understanding the different layers and the complexities of learning. Um, yeah. yeah. Or being more aware. Yeah. 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 I think that does impact yeah, heavily. Yeah. Um, if you were to pick one thing, so you having traveled everywhere and seen a lot of stuff, if there's one thing that you wish that was implemented more in New Zealand um, and replicated, what would what would you say it is? Is there anything actually? Um, I should ask it that way. <laughs> is there yeah. anything? <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is working, and like more schools yeah. should be doing it. Not maybe not necessarily just New Zealand. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed teaching in the international baccalaureate, um, yeah. and the reason for that is the idea of international mindedness hmm. um you know you are so far away from everywhere uh, yeah. to get to Abu Dhabi next year when I come over to Abu Dhabi you know it's a it's like gonna take me 24 hours yeah so I like the idea of international mindedness and global citizenship and you know sometimes it's hard in New Zealand because we're so far away from the actual world that we it, it may not seem relevant but it totally is it's relevant to every yeah. single human in this mm. world so I'd like to see more of that, um, you know, I focus a little bit more on international mindedness and global citizenship. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think I learned more about myself being overseas than I did being in New Zealand mm. because I had to really reflect on who am I in this big wide world and what is important to me, what are the values that I hold deep, no matter what context I'm in, sure, which yeah. country I'm in, yeah, that which totally school I'm in. Um, so I think there's a real opportunity there to you know we talk about identity language and culture a lot in New Zealand uh, you you get more a sense of that when you're overseas mm -hmm, when you're away yeah. from your homeland mm. yeah that's good that's well, awesome. we could probably talk about that for hours because I I totally yeah. <laughs> I'm I just six months abroad. I'm I'm thinking about how that's so true yeah. and thinking about missing a lot of my students back in the states and thinking about mm. how um yeah, how that would really enrich their lives and how different that is. Like that's the only, that's actually really the only difference in my students I have in Abu Dhabi and the students back back in the States. Yeah. Um, that yeah. global mindedness you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I think we're coming towards the end of the show. Annie, do we want to hit champagne and real pain just real fast? Absolutely. Champagne for my real friends, real pain for my sham friends. This is our our segment, Champagne and Real Pain, where we raise a glass to um, someone or something that is positive and then dish out some real pain to something that is not in the world right now. So um, the champagne this this time around, because it's the... uh, when this episode airs, 2019 will be essentially over. And um, that's a good thing um, because it's been crazy. So it can be over now and we can leave it behind. It's good riddance to 2019. Um, I don't know if there's any other champagne you have. I just was feeling really, I feel like it was a positive thing that 2019 <laughs> is over. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else? Nikita, any champagne? Um, I, I would agree. You know, since I think that was a 19, hello, 2020. Yeah, I have. Yeah, (laughs) I have both champagne and real pain for like two sides of the. Are they related? They are related. First of all, I want to raise some champagne to Christianity today for finally taking a stand against the Trump administration. Also, because why did it take you so damn long? And you (laughs) could have gotten it together sooner than that. And I'll leave all the cuss words out that I could add into this section as well. And Annie, I know you have some real pain to, to dump on our boy DT. I do, yeah. Um, my real pain is essentially, and this was kind of related to the Christianity Today thing, that Donald Trump and his cronies have compared his struggle <laughs> to the struggle of Jesus against Pontius Pilate. Oh, and I no. just cannot even, I think what I told Hope and uh, children cover your ears, but I said, I said, that is such horse shit. I was so mad. I was just like, how is that even, how can you, how could you like how, what? Like, it makes no sense. So ring that shame bell. Oh yeah. The shame bell. We have a bell for (laughs) shaming purposes. That's what that, that's what that sound was. Um, Any real pain on your end, Nikita? No, I'm looking forward to, uh, and just only champagne. Looking forward to okay. a holiday. Excellent. Looking forward to the end of 2019. <laughs> and we're really happy. We're really happy for you. Well, champagne to you for not having yeah. Donald Trump be your president in New Zealand. You have you have a <laughs> yeah. is that a parliamentary system? Do you have a PM? Yeah. You don't know Jacinda Ardern? No, I know. You should. I've, come on, Annie. I've, I've, I'm, I'm out of the loop here. You need so, to Google her, Annie. Do you have Do you have yeah. a? Oh no, on I do. Annie. Yeah. No. Do you have the? But do you have? Okay, you have because of parliamentary system, you have a vote. You have the vote of no confidence in a parliamentary system. You're so lucky. We don't have anything like that. If we want to, if we want to shame the president, we have to impeach him. You have the vote Mm -hmm. of no confidence. Although you wouldn't, you wouldn't have a vote of no confidence against your PM because she's rad. Yeah, she's pretty cool. (laughs) I get everywhere I go overseas, they tell me how amazing my president, uh, my prime minister is. Yeah, it's true. Um, I was just actually champagne. Probably should also go out to our um, to the the uh, parliament in Finland because they just elected a. It's like all of the heads of their major five political parties are women, and they're just like they're killing it. Yeah, Um, I yeah I will. I'll make it my homework to to dig in and learn more about (laughs) the most amazing um, PM of New Zealand. Maybe that should um, be my Nikita, homework today. If anybody wants to get a hold of you or follow up more and learn more about your coaching and the work you're doing mm-hmm. or hire you for that even, um, <laughs> how could they get a hold of you? Uh, just Kia Mahira. So um, Nikita at kiaomahira.co.nz. It's Googleable. Perfect. Can, uh, and then, yeah. Are you also on Twitter or Facebook or any social media that yeah, they can find so you? Nikita NZ on Twitter and just Kia Mahira for Facebook, Instagram, email. 
Excellent. Thank you. Final segment? Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. White ladies! So our this last segment, we just give our listeners some homework to complete. Uh, we're teachers. We can't let everybody go without giving them something to do at home. So uh, <laughs> Hope, do you have homework today? Um, I think my homework is just to read some of the links that we're going to post into the show notes, uh, learn a little bit more about what's going well in New Zealand, and then also what does that look like? Um, obviously, I'm really passionate about teachers building their cultural competency, which actually I hate that term, so I don't know why I just use it, but they're culturally responsive teaching practices. And I I really love what you said about thinking, like having a place for people in your mind even so that you can be open to then Mm -hmm. um, honoring them. And so I'm really, I think people should um, read some of those articles and challenge themselves to think about whether or not they have an open mind towards people that are different than them. Absolutely. Uh, my homework is uh, something I was thinking about while we were recording today about about global poverty and sort of these um, one of, that being a huge barrier in a lot of places around the world. And if we're thinking globally and kind of with a kind of global perspective, it's thinking about poverty in the context of like American poverty is one thing, um, but thinking about how poverty limits access to education in a lot of places and kind of more extreme ways for um, children and um, especially young women. So, uh, yeah, just uh, great some great resources that with the WE organization that does WE Day, they have some great resources on their website about ending global poverty. Um, and that's a real accessible resource for folks uh, just kind of jump right in. But Think about poverty as an aspect of uh, ed- either education, how education is done, or a lack of education for folks around the world uh, to kind of keep up that global perspective in 2020. Nikita, any um, homework for our listeners? Yeah, I guess probably looking at something that is really high on my mind right now is our values and beliefs. You know, mm-hmm. so when I talk about global mindedness or international mindedness, global citizenship, te ao Māori culture. Um, and really interrogating our own values and beliefs. It's taken me some time to think about why the values or why my behavior um, is the way it is. And it comes down to what you value and um, yeah. what you believe in. And so just some, just some time to think about that and to really articulate what values and beliefs are so dear to you, mm. regardless of the country or context you're in. That's wonderful. Thank Absolutely. you so much. We are so happy that you woke up at butt 30 <laughs> and are in your car talking to us. Thank you so much. I'm going to take a photo. This is just classic. <laughs> yes, please. We can add it to our show notes. Absolutely. We really appreciate it. Thank you it. so, so very, very much. All right. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We fly fly Alaska! Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. Sorry, I'm late. I almost got washed away in the rain that we're having. You made it through the flood just now? Yeah, it was real, real crazy. It's like the Wild West out there. The Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.